Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. This show is part of a series of conversations called Faith Forums. Here we discuss some of the big issues facing our world and explore how our faith compels us to take action. You'll hear from faith leaders and activists on the front lines. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. It's going to be a special night. We've been doing these faith forums with Red Letter Christians for uh, over a year, and we, we kind of just do them periodically. It's one of those things that we like to talk about substantial, meaningful things. We like our faith to connect with the work on the ground, with the stuff going on in our world. And we're going to talk about the Poor People's Campaign tonight. We've got uh, a, actually a great group of folks here. We've got Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who is the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, and uh, John and Wilson Hartgrove, the Reverend Dr. John and Wilson Hartgrove, uh, and we've got <laughs> uh, uh, Philip from uh, the Common Hymnal and Jackie Harris from Common Hymnal. They're going to bring us some music. It's going to be a powerful night, y'all, uh, but I also want to begin by saying, you know, if you haven't seen the news in the last hour or so, uh, the latest breaking news in our country is that there's another mass shooting in an elementary school in Texas. Uh, and, and, and this was, I believe, second through fourth grade. 14 kids were killed. One teacher was killed. And there's others that are in critical condition. One of the worst mass shootings in a school in our country. And it's, it's the latest reminder that after Sandy Hook, a lot of people said never again, and we've let it happen again and again and again. This, the shooter in this, in this incident uh, is an 18-year-old, the same age as 10 days ago, the shooter in Buffalo. And, and last year, Texas loosened its gun laws even more to allow 18-year-olds who can't even rent a car or drink a beer uh, to own guns in Texas. And, uh, and, and it's also a reminder that these shootings, as horrific as they are, these mass shootings are less than 1%, less than 1% of our gun deaths in our country. There are hundreds and hundreds of people, children, older folks that are dying every single day in our country. And uh, last year, in 2021, gun violence became the number one cause of death of all children in America. Number one. For years, it's been the number one cause of death of African-American kids who are 10 times more likely to die than white kids. But last year, it became the largest cause of death of all of our kids in this country. And it's a reminder, too, that the United States is alone uh, as an outlier. I mean, every country in the world has people who are racist, people who have mental health struggles, folks that are have a propensity to violence, but what's unique about America is we allow everyone easy access to guns with almost no regulations or restrictions. And where when sinful people can grab a gun so easily and do so much damage, uh, this is on all of us, right? It, it, it really is. To say that, I mean, I, I think it's, it's an absolute lie to say that all that we can do is pray. And we can pray right now. But then we can also honor the lives that have been lost in Texas today by taking action to end gun violence. 
And I, I think it was Miroslav Volf that said, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, a really hypocritical and offensive to God to ask God to do what God gives us the power to do. So we might be waiting on God to do something about gun violence, but I think God is waiting on us to do something about gun violence. So let's take a moment of silence. We don't know all of their names yet, and some of them are still in intensive care, being flown to San Antonio uh, by helicopters. But let's remember this little community, like 15,000 people in this little community about two hours from San Antonio, Uvalde, the 14 children that were killed today in that school. The teacher, the parents, a whole community shattered. And let's pray that God would give us the courage, the courage to to take action, to put feet on our prayers. Lord, have mercy. It only feels right to, uh, to do that. It's all I could think about as we were preparing with all the important stuff we're going to be talking about in the March that's happening in just a few weeks. And all of these things are so connected. But our country is in a crisis. In, in so on so many different fronts. And Reverend Barber was going to be with us tonight. He's not going to be able to be with us tonight. He's with us in spirit, but we've got a great group, including Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who will be sharing all of the movement that's happening around our country. And it's no coincidence, right, Liz, Reverend Liz, that, that we talk about the need for revival, that this is a moral revival. This is not just political issues, but this is really the soul of our country uh, that's at stake. So we're going to talk about that. But to kick us off, we actually have a song called The Revival. That's by Common Hymnal. I'm going to kick it over uh, to my brother Phil to introduce this song. And uh, thank you for all the beautiful music and art you're creating for the movement, man. Tell us a little bit about Common Hymnal, but then uh, introduce this song that we're going to hear, brother. Yeah, man, it's an honor to be here. My name's Philip Joubert, for those who don't know me. And I am a collaborator with Common Hymnal. Common Hymnal is a living virtual library of songs and art um, that is designed to uh, bring the the concept to life of worship with a social conscience. So that's the goal and the vision behind what we do, that we would worship God, but that we would worship God in a way that doesn't just cause us to lift our hands and feel fuzzy feelings, but also causes us um, to do something about the society that we live in as Jesus has commanded us to do. Um, and so that's the, the kind of the heart and the vision uh, behind what we do. Um, and it's, there's many of us all over the place. Whenever somebody asks who's in common him or who's out, it's a very hard question to answer because really it's not about who's in and who's out. It's just who's collaborating, who's contributing. And that is a international effort that's happened. So it's a really, um, it's really been an amazing thing for me to be a part of. And um, one of the things that we were doing is we were starting to create music and we, and a lot of times we create music around what's going on in the culture and in the world and just what's inspiring at the time. And so that's how this piece came about, this piece called The Revival. Um, 
the revival was inspired by Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. So for those of you who are familiar with that powerful piece, um, that, that, that piece spoke to me in the fall of 2020 as I was thinking about what it was like in the summer of 2020 in the heat of, of so much civic unrest and as we were starting to really have a real conversation about racism in the country that hadn't happened for so many in so long, it started to feel like as we started to get towards the election season that that conversation was starting to like die down or calm down. And I said, this doesn't need to calm down. This isn't, this isn't supposed to be a fad. We're in the midst of, of a, a real revolution and the language changed from revolution to revival. And uh, that's kind of where this piece came from. And so it's, it's saying we are in need desperately of revival. It's right in line with everything we're talking about tonight. And that's what this piece is. We actually got permission from Gil Scott Heron's estate um, to, to do this work and to make this happen. So it was a real miracle, um, the entirety of it coming together. So really excited about you guys uh, being able to, to share this with you today. Brothers and sisters, go on and get you a good little seat because it's time for a talk. And grab an ice cube while you're at it because it's tea. It's about to get really hot. See, it's a lot of y'all that prayed for something big to happen. You shouted and cried and ran around pleading with heaven to give us something amazing. And now amazing is starting to look more and more within our grasp. But wait, it doesn't look like what you expected. It's not popular like we anticipated, but maybe that's the point. Maybe we didn't need another big moment. Maybe we'll get something better. Maybe we'll get revival. Instead, the revival we're looking for It's not a social media sensation It's a weighty social transformation But let me be abundantly clear If revival comes, it will not come cheap It will not come quietly And it will not go viral Let me say that again It will not come cheap It will not come quietly Revival will not go viral This will not be trending And it won't trend within your algorithmic timelines We don't need more viral We need revival Revival will not have a banner ad An unboxing, a review, or a reaction video It will not come with a subscription service The revival will not be premium content We don't need more viral We need revival Because we're not talking about something as trivial as clicks or shares. What we're talking about is a genuine move of God, and genuine means messy, and messy is bad for branding. You can't sell genuine. You can't read it off a teleprompter. You can't shove it in a super pack. This will not be loyal to a party. There will be no covert sponsorship from the Democrats. It will have nothing to do with Republicans. You will not be able to pander or promise positions of power will hold no prospects for politicians or pastors for that matter. So please, put your phone down, sir or ma'am. This revival will not go viral this revival will not build your subscriber base it will not get you 15% off your first week with our special promo code there will not be a reality show spinoff or a Netflix special the revival will not be monetized revival is not profitable therefore it is not for sale we don't need more viral we need revival you won't damn your way into a move like this there will be no who you knowing or good old boy in your spot. This is not about popularity or success, but truth. Keep your convenient signs and hashtagable catchphrases to repeat. You won't get over it in three months. No campaign will distract you from it. No bullet can gun it down. The revival is bulletproof. We don't need more viral. We need revival. I can't tell you when the revival will come, 
But I can tell you what's happening now, I see it In the reconstruction of faith apart from political binaries, I see it In the liberated songwriters who want more from their lyrics and karaoke at camps and conferences I can't tell you what it will look like in detail But I can tell you what it will sound like, what it will smell like It'll sound like immortal footsteps walking through water hoses and lynch mobs. It'll sound like that look from your grandmama that set you straight when you got out of line. It'll sound like when your cousin came home from doing time. It'll sound like old school high church on a hardwood floor. It'll sound like the rumblings of dissatisfaction with the way things have been. It'll smell like initiative and excellence. It'll smell like independence and ownership. It'll smell like a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. What you know about freedom, young brother? What you know about what it costs? My sister, we need to know, fam. We need to know because the revival has a weight to it. And you're gonna have to carry that thing. It's going with you wherever you take it. So you're gonna have to take it where Brother Malcolm couldn't take it, where Auntie Rosa couldn't take it. You're gonna have to take it to your kids. Revival has generational implications. So get ready to get your hands dirty. The revival will be on the ground, it will be in your house bold in the best way. It will answer prayers for generations gone by. You don't need more viral. The revival will not go viral. But it will go forward. You best believe that. Ooh, glory! Whew. I got the chill bumps. I've heard that thing like so many times, man. Every time it just shatters me. It, this is what it smells like. This is what it sounds like. Ooh, Reverend Liz, it seems clear that uh, it's not just going to be Twitter that changes the world or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, some little thing that we can pay, post on Facebook or the best meme or some viral thing, but it, we got to get in the streets. And you're, you're the co-chair of uh, the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, but you're also working with Kairos, and that means a moment, and it feels like we're in a moment. Tell us about what you're seeing and what, I mean, even this every single day, it feels like there, you can't even keep track of it all. So what is this Kairos moment we're talking about? Well, I mean, Kairos, right? It, it means the old ways of injustice are crumbling, um, but they hold on tight. Uh, mm. uh, and then the new movements uh, for transformation, for reconstruction, for bottom up, um, are, are breaking through. And, and I think we see this. I mean, again, it's crisis after crisis, like, like, like we all are seeing, right? I mean, kids being killed, uh, white supremacists going uh, wild, uh, the climate, you know, actually on fire um, and living in the richest country in human history and having 140 million people who are poor, 52% of our kids. I mean, this is this is this is crisis. This is for sure crisis, and is in desperate need of revival. But that's what people are doing all across the country. I mean, people are out there. I mean, we were in Memphis last night, uh, in front of the Rain Motel, where Dr. King was shot down with the Memphis Seven, those Starbucks workers who are who are organizing, who have inspired people all across the country, with folks that have been displaced from their communities. Um, from Mason, Tennessee, um, but who are there fighting, saying it does not have to be this way. Uh, we deserve better and more, you know, with folks that are unhoused. Um, 
but who are, are reminding us as a nation that we have five abandoned houses for every homeless person, and yet homelessness is skyrocketing, skyrocketing. And and mm -hmm. so, you know, I think, you know, in Memphis, and last week we were in Los Angeles, and we're getting ready to be in D.C. and, and have a lot of folks on the ground uh, from D.C. who have been organizing for a long time. Who are who are making the connections? You know, making the connections between uh, gun violence and white supremacy, and the attack on voting rights, and on the lack of health care and living wages, and who are coming together and and saying um, we gotta lift from the bottom so that mm. everybody can rise. Mm. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna talk more about what's happening this this next month and June eighteenth, and call everybody who can to to come to DC or to join uh, virtually for folks that are listening. We have a lot of folks uh, listening in other countries that can organize solidarity movements on the eighteenth. So we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to like uh, j just give a little bit of a backdrop, Jonathan. You've been. You've seen, you know, these movements, they, they, they kind of are like water doesn't boil all at once, but it kind of simmers up. And you've been organizing with Reverend Barber and with uh, others in North Carolina where this, this kind of started and then the moral movement went to D.C. So give us a little bit of the backdrop, man, of um, how you've seen this, this uh, movement begin to bubble up over the last uh, years. Well, it's good to be with the Red Letter Christian family. And I think anytime we're with people who read the Bible, we ought to remember that poor folk are always organizing. Poor folk have always been fighting for their lives. And poor folk are always crying out to God, who the Bible says, hears the cries of the poor. So um, you're right. There's always movements uh, moving. There's always streams flowing towards uh, the the sea, and sometimes, you know, things converge and they come together. And I think we are uh, here in the, well, uh, Reverend Barber has talked about it a good bit as the birth pains of a third reconstruction. I mean, we live in a country that has always uh, claimed uh, on paper to have these sort of high ideals. Dr. King used to say, you know, we had uh, uh, the high blood pressure of creeds but an anemia of deeds, you know, there's, there's a little bit of hypocrisy at the root. The brother that wrote the, you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness was holding people as property on his, on his land back in Virginia. So all that we know is true. And yet there have been moments in this country's history when we have been able to push together toward a, a more perfect union, toward a more, uh, a fuller realization of the beloved community. That's what Reconstruction was about after the uh, Civil War. Uh, what we usually call the Civil Rights Movement was really a second Reconstruction in the sense that it tried to take, you know, the, the legal structure of the country and remake it with things like the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act, the new immigration law, all of that. And, and in this moment, uh, we, we've really come to a place where uh, I, I think it's really significant. Our friend, um, Robbie Jones put, points this out a good bit these days. I, I think it's incredibly significant that, you know, over this last decade, when Barack Obama was the first black president of this country, at that very same moment, white Christians became a minority in this country. And that created um, a situation 
in which it became clear that the myth of a so-called Christian nation that pretends to be a democracy that includes all people uh, could not continue. We sort of have to face a choice. Are we gonna have a multi-ethnic democracy or are we gonna have some kind of uh, um, uh, reckoning for, you know, you know, longing for a past that, you know, somebody promises, but that increasingly looks uh, uh, dangerous uh, and is indeed subverting democracy. And I, I think that's the struggle that we're in the midst of. There are a lot of people who are very concerned about the uh, future of the country. And frankly, I'm concerned sometimes when I see what's going on. But I think it's, it's incredibly important to remember in times like these that there is potential to move forward together and to reconstruct what we inherited to make it uh, live up to more of what it's promised. That's what uh, grew to, came out of the moral movement in North Carolina when folks came together back in uh, 06, 07 to expand voting rights here and to really build a coalition of people who could vote together, black, white, and brown, for policies that could lift all of us. Uh, now, that, that has been met with a whole lot of attacks, a whole lot of retrogression, and yet I think the spirit of the movement is spreading across the country. There are, you know, the Poor People's Campaign has coordinating committees in almost every state now. There is this mobilization tour that uh, Reverend Lewis was just describing, and we are going to Washington, D.C. next month for what uh, we fully anticipate will be the largest gathering of poor and low-income people in this country's history, and, and, and doing it so that the voices of people who know that another way is possible can be centered right there on the center stage, because we get so much news about the extremism that I think a lot of people don't have the hope, don't have the confidence that we could turn out an electorate that could change things. But we know it is possible. We've done the studies, we've seen the numbers, we know it's possible. We've got to have people who are mobilized and ready to do it. So that's what this campaign's about. Yes, Lord. And Reverend Liz, we, we not only is there stuff happening all over the country, but there's a, there's a little bit of a historic backdrop on this, right? We, we've got big footprints that we're walking in and people's shoulders on, on who we, whom we uh, stand. And Dr. King um, really had this, this vision for the Poor People's Campaign and uh, was killed before uh, he was able to carry it out. But that, there's, there's some of that that, that has... Uh, as he began to move from talking uh, mostly about race to about economics and, and uh, this, this idea of a poor people's campaign, March on Washington. And, and that's some of the inspiration. So I, I want you to give us a little bit of a backdrop for what's happening on June 18th and, uh, and, and let us know how people can join in. Yeah, well, so, I mean, uh, we would need a poor people's campaign today even if the welfare rights movement and Dr. King and Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers and, and Appalachian families hadn't called for one in 67 and 68, but, but they did. Um, and, and it was especially poor and impacted folks who said, you know, the weak point of a society that rests on the intersection of systemic racism and poverty and militarism is to unite and organize the poor. Um, you know, in this country, in in connection to uh, the poor across the world, um, and so that's exactly what we're doing. Um, 
uh, and it and it you know at, at that intersection of uh, of poverty, of racism, of militarism, and then we've had to add on because in in 2022 um, we see who's being hurt first and worst by climate change is the poor, um, and we see this false, this distorted narrative. Um, of Christian religious nationalism, you know, a narrative that blames poor people, blames queer people, blames trans people, immigrants, people of color, women, you know, for all of society's problems, uh, pits us against each other, or at least tries to, um, you know, try and have us fight each other uh, rather than um, band together. And then feeds us this lie, this lie that there isn't enough of scarcity, um, or this is as good as it gets. Um, when we know, especially people of faith know, uh, that, that there's more than enough um, and that uh, we, you know, the only scarcity that there is, is a scarcity of political will to actually uh, do what needs to be done that, that, that the solutions that are at hand. Um, and so, you know, in the midst of, of folks before um, and folks today coming forward and saying, you know, this Achilles heel of, of a system that, that is a death dealing system that is is one that that you know as dr barber says has a death measurement um mm -hmm. uh rather than uh one that's measuring the lives and 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 prosperity of all all creation um this society um that was okay before the pandemic hit with 700 people dying a day from poverty um that 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 the what can change that is a moral revolution of values, a revival from the bottom up, especially when you organize and, and unite uh, poor people. And so that's what we've been doing. As Jonathan said, you know, folks are organized in almost every state across the country. And, and right now, you know, coming planes, trains, and automobiles um, to Washington, D.C. on June 18th for a mass poor people and low-wage workers assembly, a moral march on Washington and to the polls. And, and, and again, the, the, this, is, this is about, you know, making a declaration to this country um, that, that we can change and we are changing this society and that it's an all call that people, you know, can join, especially if you're hurting, especially if you're without health care, especially if you're working, you know, two, three jobs at, at not enough wages, you know, especially if, if you've lost people to COVID, um, you know, but, but everybody. Um, all the folk that are kind of hurt by by this current system, you know, have a voice, have a political and moral agency, um, and and can actually, as we look at history, it's it's those that are most impacted that have always led the charge, have always led movements, um, and and have always helped to then come together, band together with people from all walks of life to be able to assert that everybody's got a right to live. Um, mm. And and so that's that's what we're doing. That's the you know the legacy that we we connect with, and that you know we have people on our steering committee, in our coordinating committees that were a part of that 1968 Poor People's Campaign. We had two women that were marching with Dr. King, uh, you know, speaking and calling people, saying, you know, if I can get there in 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 my 80s and my 90s, you know, can't you? And can't you bring everybody you know? And you know, there was a resounding yes in that crowd. Um, both in person and online last night. And, and we're seeing this all across the country. I mean, we're just seeing people saying that they can be a part of the change that we need to make in this world. And, and that that's, that's 
that's hopeful. Um, yeah. That's hopeful in hard times, but that's that's the times that we're living in. And there's buses going from all over the country. There, you know, if you want to get to DC, uh, you can get to DC for this march. And 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 if you've got some uh, pressing issues that don't allow you to, there's all kinds of ways to stand in solidarity and to uh, join virtually. But a lot of us are going to be in DC, y'all. And Red Letter Christian, we're going to do like a huddle the day after it. Uh, so we're we're working out all the details of that. Some folks are getting in the night before, um, but. Jonathan, you know, there's some folks that have a little bit of resistance in them that, well, isn't this really the work of the church? Like, how much do we really believe that politics are the answer? I've got, you know, I got my anarchistic tendencies behind me, but the, what I've come to see is that what we are doing is we are standing with the people that Jesus blessed, the poor, those who are mourning, those who are crying out in the streets right now, we can't breathe, those who are being crushed by the systems. And to say, I'm going to vote for the poor, I'm going to vote for the people that are being crushed by these systems means we're going to show up. And if you have a hard time voting for someone, maybe we think we're going to vote some of these people out of power. Like, I'm not going to name names, I about did, but we got to vote some people out. And to vote, you know, to, to, to say, I'm going to harness the principalities and powers. I'm going to stand up in the streets. I mean, that's that's what we're doing. But how do you tell me how because I know you're we've been friends a long time. I know all your backdrop of navigating the left and the right. Reverend Barber says a lot. You know, we're we're centered on Jesus. Uh, this isn't about left and right. It's about right and wrong. It's about standing with the right people, the people that are being hurt by these systems and structures. So how, how, how can someone who, who is centered on Jesus navigate, you know, a right political posture right now? It's a good question. I, I think there's two things we have to uh, navigate and uh, ultimately ask the Holy Spirit to help us overcome. One of them is the lies that we've been told. I think it's really important to recognize that, uh, especially uh, white Christians in America have uh, been given a story about uh, political engagement that was really designed to uh, make us uh, live into our whiteness in the name of our religion. That's a story that's been, you know, pushed hard for 40 years. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, Christian TV and radio and things that we thought were supposed to be, you know, helping us with our spiritual formation have actually been aimed at convincing us that the only political issues that matter are the issues that would serve an extreme agenda. And now that's kind of coming to the fore. And, you know, we see crosses being carried by people who want to overthrow the government. A lot of people are kind of, you know, putting their hands in their hair and say, what's going on? But the but part of what we got to do is, is, is pray for eyes to see how this has really distorted our understanding of what it means to live faithfully in public. Mm. And when you say, oh, I don't want to be political, it seems to me you're just rejecting the Bible, because the whole Bible is about being faithful to God in public. Mm. The prophets mm. talked about it. 
you know, the, 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 a lot of the Psalms are about it. Jesus was about it. Come on. I always okay. just talk to my Christian sisters and brothers and say, um, if you really don't believe that Jesus was political, then how do you reckon he got crucified? <laughs> because they don't put you on a cross for being a, you know, strange religious teacher. You, you know, you get ostracized or you get, you know, marginalized. You don't get put on a cross for just teaching something strange. They crucified the brother because he was leading a political movement that was threatening the political powers. That's why political powers exercise power. So there's that lie we got to get over. Yeah. And, and I think we're pressing for that. But the, I, I want to say this other one. I think it's important for faith communities. And I learned this from um, A. Philip Randolph, who proposed to march on Washington way, way back in the 40s. A. Philip Randolph, I found these notes of a talk he gave to uh, the, the, uh, the young black ministers at uh, Yale Divinity School asked him to come and uh, be part of a, a meeting there in the 30s where they wanted to have a conversation about how the church could organize to overcome Jim Crow in the South in the 30s. And they said, we've got to build up a generation of, of, of preachers and folks who can, can lead us in that. He wanted to be there for that. But he has, in his talk, he has this thing where he looks at these young people who are training to be ministers. And he says, I don't believe many, this is his language, many Negro preachers would be good organizers. He said, for that matter, I don't think many white preachers would either. <laughs> this is an organizer talking. <laughs> but he said, I don't think Preachers have to be organizers to be part of the movement. He said, you have a particular role to play. The faith community has a particular role to play. And if you help people see a moral framework for being part of something that organizers are doing, then you can bring the church along. Hmm. I think that's a beautiful vision for the man who, you know, 25 years later, stood behind Dr. King while he gave his I Have a Dream speech on the March on Washington that he had organized and planned for, right? So I, I, I think this is another lie that the faith community has to get over that, that like, it's not our role to do that. Well, you don't have to do everything. There are, you know, there's a labor uprising in this country right now. This is going to be a low-wage workers and poor people's assembly. There are poor people organizing. There are environmental activists organizing. There's people organizing for health care. There's people organizing for women's rights. There's, there's a lot of organizing happening. We could just show up and say, we're here to pray. We're here to sing. We're here to you know add our voices in. It, mm. I think church people have to get over the notion that the only things we need to show up for are the things that we organize on our own. No, coalition building is important work for faith communities. So that's the other thing that I think we can do. And I think Red Letter Christians is a good uh, avenue into it. So yeah, like you're saying, let's come along. Maybe you don't agree with everybody on everything. That's fine. This yeah. is, we're, we're talking about building a big, broad coalition that has some, some, some key things in common. We believe yeah. in love. We believe in justice. We believe in mercy. <laughs> and we believe that people who are suffering ought not to be suffered and that we can do something about it. <laughs> Let's start there. Get on board with Let's that. Come on. Find some common ground. Reverend Liz, I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about this, but I, I think there's a lot of people that are disappointed with the left and right thing. And I mean, I'm, I'm frankly, a, I, I am constantly astounded at how easy it is to open a Guantanamo Bay and how hard it is to, to close one, how easy it is to start a war and how uh, hard it seems to be to end one. The military spending, Biden raised that from Trump, Trump raised that from Obama. Like there's, 
a lot of things I really hoped we would see get done by uh, the Democrats. There's other things I'm, I'm constantly disappointed by uh, conservatives that I think will have a conscience on different issues or care about the poor or care about immigration or take risks on gun violence. But uh, the disappointment is there. Uh, <laughs> how do you navigate like it? it it's easy for me to keep my hope in Jesus. It's very difficult for me to some, sometimes sustain that we're actually going to break through on some of these things when it comes to our political leaders. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it makes me think of Luke, Luke 19, right? You have this uh, persistent widow. And, yeah. and what I love about this story is that, you know, it, it, it reminds us that this, this judge that she keeps on going to, to demand her justice to, uh, you know, doesn't care, doesn't doesn't give a damn, right, about um, other human beings, and doesn't fear God, right? And that that doesn't change in that parable. It's not at the end he has like a, you know, a a, a come into Jesus moment. He he just doesn't. Um, he he still doesn't care about other human beings and doesn't fear God. But because this woman keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and demands justice, and I assume organizes her whole community and has you know, their little signs and, and their little protest at that, at that courthouse. And, and they just will, won't stop. You know, it says that he's worried that she's gonna give him a political mm. black eye. I mean, that's what the Greek says, you know? Um, and, and so it's not because he has this, this moment where of clarity and he does the right thing. Um, is that, that she builds the kind of power, the kind of persistence that it takes to actually change things for the better for her. And she wins justice. I mean, the parable is very clear. And, and also that parable is about praying, right? Mm. Not just this praying Stubborn separate praying. From, from, it's public prayer, it's praying with our feet, you know, it's, it's praying um, and, and organizing and walking and talking and, and, and educating and protesting, right? And, and so to me, uh, again, I, I have my hope uh, for sure in Jesus and in the people because um, I have seen in my own lifetime and I have seen as I studied in history that when the people keep on coming and keep on coming and keep on coming in, then that's when change happens. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks before the Bloody Sunday, uh, Bloody Sunday, um, you know, President Johnson has no interest in in passing uh, a Voting Rights Act. I mean, he, I mean, he he vows he's not going to do it, right? Um, you know, and yet, and, and I'm I'm not saying it it takes death, but it, it takes persistence and it takes organizing and it takes witnessing to the kind of violence that's happening, um, and and putting that in front of people, um, and and but from there, you know, folks will. will will pledge a lot of things and then those will change as the power of people uh, builds. And, and, and so that's why we're gonna convene and converge on Washington DC on June 18th. Not that we think that that uh, declaration of our power just that day is gonna do it, but, but we're gonna keep on coming back and, and we're following the steps of nonviolent civil disobedience and direct action, right? We're, yeah. we're letting our demands be heard. We're, 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 we're making it known. Um, uh, what what the issues are, but also what the solutions are. They, they're there, um, and and I think that again, if if we if we go back to that 
parable of that persistent widow. Um, it's not that the the politician, you know, uh, sees the error in his ways and 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 comes and does the right thing. It's that when the people organize, um, we can compel, um, as Dr. King says, those in powers who may be desirous of saying no to say yes, right? Mm. And and that's that's it. I hear it. I think what you're saying is uh, before this campaign fails, we're all going down in jail. Everybody's got a right to live. Uh, you know, as, as I think of Dr. King, I want to say to folks listening in, because I hear a lot of folks say that this is a hard issue, you know, that people, whether it's gun violence or whatever, like we need Christians to uh, welcome, you know, immigrants and homeless folks, but that's different from public policy. I think we really got to challenge ourselves to say it can be both, right? Like Dr. King knew that. People constantly said, you're getting too political. And what Dr. King would say is like, God changes hearts, but people change laws. And we need both. We, we No law, no matter how good our laws are, you can't legislate love. You can't, uh, a law can't make someone who's racist, not racist. But as Dr. King said, a law can make it harder for someone to kill me. It may not make them love me, but it can make it harder for them to kill me. And so there is heart change. That's why we need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening. We need, uh, as, as Reverend Barber says, we need to be uh, the, the folks that shock people's hearts back to love and to life and compassion again. Uh, meanwhile, just like in the civil rights movement, we need a policy change. We need a people to be able to go to the same schools and sim swim in the same swimming pools and uh, have the same rights and the same dignity, the ability to vote, the, uh, uh, their, their humanity fully recognized. So um, it, it, these, these are not like either ors. We, we can have heart change and we can have social change and policy change. Uh, Jonathan, you want you want to chime in on this? Like uh, I, I think of that King quote that the church is meant to be the conscience of the nation, but we've been anything but that right now. I mean, so we've often been silent or even complicit on a lot of these things, and um, we we got some work to do when it comes to to the church being the conscience of our society. Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, and you know, it's been uh, my experience that people can debate this around and around and act like it's very complicated. But <laughs> if you spend a little time with some Christian people who knew people who lived in a country where the government said that other people could own them. I'm a member of a Baptist church where Deacon McCray when he was living, he died a couple of years ago, but when Deacon McCray was living, he got up every Black History Month and shared with the little children and everybody else the stories that his grandmother told him when he was growing up about being in slavery. When you have that kind of experience and you understand that you would belong to someone else if the laws of the country had not changed, it seems to me you don't have a, it's not very confusing, uh, you know, whether laws make a difference. Mm. Uh, mm. I, I think, and there are issues that are equally so. This campaign is talking about whether everyone should have access to health care. There are hundreds of thousands of people in this country who die every year when there is no pandemic, just because they don't have access to health care. We're talking about whether people who work you know, 
jobs should earn enough money to be able to pay for the things that they and their family need. Mm. The, these are issues that we pretend like they're very complex and that, you know, we need some like expertise or something to come in. No, we, it's pretty clear. People mm. who, who work all week and can't pay for everything know that's wrong. And they know often because they're doing work right, like directly where they're earning money for other people. They know there is enough money there to take care of them and the people who are making money off of them. Mm -hmm. But we as a society have not, just like you were saying with gun control, we have not had the moral clarity to say, this is not just a fight between you know, this or that person and the person they're working for, this ought to be something that we all come to some consensus about. We don't want to be a people who allow 140 million of us to struggle to survive Right. when, you know, the gross domestic product is high enough that there's $50,000 for every person, man, woman, and child in this country. So the resources are there. Why do we allow it to happen? Well, yeah, because of this compromise and that compromise. But I think there's some clarity when the people who are most directly impacted get centered and have a chance to say, no, no, kind of like that sister in the scriptures that Reverend Liz was telling about. You know, when you get together and you say, we, we are not going to take it anymore. Even if you don't yeah. change, even if your heart doesn't change, you're going <laughs> to render a different judgment or you're not going to hear the end of it. we're going to wear you down we're going to wear you down well it does occur to me reverend liz that uh you know in jesus's final account of the judgment in matthew 25 that it's not just individuals that are brought before god too it says all the nations will be brought before god and will give account to how we cared for the least of these when i was hungry did you feed me when i was uh, sick? Did you provide me health care when I was a, a, an immigrant, a stranger, a refugee? Did you welcome me in? Uh, that that the real test of our our faith and and the health, the spiritual health of our nation, is not how the Dow Jones is doing, but how the the poorest are doing, the most vulnerable are doing. And this is literally, um, if we want to be a spiritually healthy country, we we got to care about how the most uh, uh, vulnerable people in our, our society are doing, right? Like this, this is a spiritual crisis. I think it is. It's a crisis. And it, it and our, our Bible is so clear that there is no way to separate kind of the public sphere and politics from the heart and love. Um, I mean, in, in that Matthew 25 passage, you know, with that, that draws heavily from Deuteronomy and, and some of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, it's so clear that piety, our worship of God, how you honor and worship God is connected to whether you're welcoming the immigrant neighbor, uh, whether you're lifting from the bottom so everybody can rise, whether you're forgiving debts and releasing those enslaved to injustice and, and uh, paying people a living wage. I mean, this is, this is actually what piety is in our scriptures. Now, we somehow have done something different with it. But but it but it's not biblically rooted. It's not it's not what Christianity is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh, that we're worshiping mammon um, rather than than God. When we when we dare to to think that that uh, that it has to be this way, and that and that in some level 
that God has willed the kind of inequalities and injustices and, and political problems of our society when, when it's just that we're being disobedient to, to mm -hmm. what God has told us in terms of what is good and that is to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God, right? And so to, to me, it, it's so important and, and we should always go back to that Matthew 25 passage um, that's so often quoted in a way to, to say that we as individuals are supposed to help uh, and we surely are, uh, you know, I take very seriously the, the passages of give to everyone that, to ask of you. I, I take very seriously, um, you know, how, how, how we as people, as human beings are, are to ourselves take up um, the, the call and the struggles of, of, of Christ. Uh, but I also take very seriously that, that, that those instructions are are made to whole societies and that it is an indictment on our society and as us as on us as individuals for allowing this to be if we have poverty if we have the lack of health care if we have low wages because um, it's very clear in our scriptures that uh you know the the wages you fail to pay your workers are crying out against you. Their their cries have reached the ears of God. They're a roar in God's ears. Um, and 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 then this is this is you know not just one text, not just one story, not just one lesson, but this is the the whole arc of of who we are as a people and what we're what we're called to do. Well, I just keep thinking of one after another, you know, true religion that God honors is caring for the widow and the orphan in their distress and keeping ourselves from being corrupted by the, the, this world. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of corruption, not just in high places, but in all places. Uh, there's a great question that came up, which is um, this. So back to June 18th, uh, when a bunch of us show up in Washington um, for folks that might be new to marching, new to getting in the streets. Uh, who have small kids and families? Uh, is this is this a place where anybody can come, like where you can bring your kids and uh, maybe talk about? I know how deeply rooted we are in the tradition of nonviolence, of not returning uh, any hostility that's you know put upon us with that same hostility. So. Um, for folks that are thinking about bringing their kids or grandparents that are thinking about coming, uh, talk about that a little bit. So indeed, I mean, this, this, is, this is a, a moral march for everybody, uh, everybody in, nobody out. And, and so we'll be lining up on Pennsylvania Avenue um, uh, and, and we'll be, you know, getting to hear from those that are most impacted uh, from every state across the country. Um, but but this will be for for elderly folks, for young people, and and you know this this is part of the steps of doing nonviolent direct action. But 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 this is not going to be a we, no one's no one's you know confronting the, the the police here. There's there's no plan for any kind of nonviolent civil disobedience in this context. Uh, we got to make make sure that our our the voices are heard, um, that our that our demands are known. Um, that, that folks hear that there are other people that are suffering in the society and, and not going to be silent about it anymore. And, and so, so, I mean, my kids will be there. All my, my nieces and nephews will, will be, be there. there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and, you know, and, and our elders will be there and folks on walkers will be there and in wheelchairs and, and, and really the whole spectrum of folk. Um, and, and, 
you know, we're going to, in the morning, there's going to be a Shabbat service for our Jewish brothers and sisters, but all are welcome to, to join that. And we'll have, um, you know, we'll be able to really set a stage to hear the, the pain, but then also see and experience the power uh, of poor and low income people. And so, you know, this is a, a great first protest to come to, um, to be there in the numbers. Um, you know, in Washington, D.C., you know, on Pennsylvania Avenue, making our voices heard and doing so in this fusion uh, coalition of people, you know, people from all walks of life, from all parts of the country, even parts of the world. Um, and, 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 you know, with music and with song and with, um, with, with laughter and with crying, right? I mean, we have a lot to mourn about um, and, 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 uh, and, and mourn we will. Um, but then we'll also cry out that 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 you know a change a revival is 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 coming um, mm. and and we need everybody uh, to to revive this this heart and this soul of of our of our democracy and of our world. Beautiful. One of the things well, I love. John, the most, yeah, close, yeah. Go ahead, man. When yeah. we were there in uh, 2018 uh, for a march on Washington, is we a lot of us rode buses and you know, uh, caravans up there. And when we uh, we got off uh, on the Metro, went down underground. And when we got to the, um, just this, you know, the platform where you wait for the train, there was so many of us who were going to the, the march that we were singing in the Metro and it was all echoing through the tube down there. <laughs> so we, we sang our way all the way in until we joined the folks on the mall. So yeah, you'll, if you come, you'll get caught up in a, crowd of folks that I think you'll want to be with. There's a good spirit about it. And I think of that scripture, y'all, in Romans, where it says the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. And it really does feel like we're in a moment right now where there is a lot of groaning uh, in Texas right now, in Buffalo, in poor and low income communities around the country, rural, urban, all over our country, there is a groaning for, and, and I think a real sense that it doesn't have to be this way, right? Mm. Like we, 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 we're, we're allowing something to exist that doesn't need to be. And, and the whole point of faith is believing despite the evidence, right? Is believing that, that things can be different. So let's, let's name it and claim it, y'all. And we're gonna take that one back. Uh, so this is what I wanna do. I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna come back to you, Liz, for closing words and a prayer. And then we got a great song to end with. Our, our sister Jackie Harris is going to uh, close us out with a, a common hymnal song, but just a couple of things on the horizon. First of all, if you missed it behind photo bomb and Liz, Reverend Liz there is we cry that we cry justice, her book that is a, a compilation from folks all over the movement, uh, all over the country that are part of the poor people's campaign. We read that book together this last month. So check it out. It's a beautiful harmony of voices. This next month, we've been doing a book every month. This month, we're going to do for such a time as this, Reverend Sharon Risher's book. And honest to goodness, I can't think of a better book to read at such a time as this. This month is the anniversary of the Emanuel AME shooting in Charleston. Uh, Reverend, Sher Reverend Risher's mother was killed and her family, her cousins, her friends were killed in that shooting. We're going to talk with her this month. And Reverend Sharon and I are going to be together in Savannah next weekend 
uh, on June 4th, beating on a gun. So if you need a way to channel your anger and your frustration right now, come on down to Georgia on Saturday, June 4th, and we're going to beat on some guns together and also pray for uh, change in our country on gun violence, but on so many fronts where we need that change. So grab this book for such a time as this. We'll read it together in the month of June. Jonathan and I'll be together on June 1st for morning prayer. Our guests this month are Randy and Edith Woodley, uh, incredible friends, uh, native theologians uh, who are building a community. We'll be talking about creation care uh, with them on June 1st at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and then mark your calendars, y'all, June 18th, we're all going to be in DC. So, uh, uh, and check out, if you don't know about the poor people's campaign, check it out. Liz mentioned really quickly, the five interlocking, interlocking injustices, but this is the stuff we can all agree on that really is at the center of our faith. And we're organizing around, we may not agree on everything, but let's find that common ground together. So Reverend Liz, I'll pass it back to you to pray us, uh, in, and then, uh, we're, we're going to go to Jackie to sing us out. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, it's been powerful to be here in this faith forum and and so so indeed let us pray god of justice and love we thank you for bringing us together we thank you for inspiring us with the hope of what your reign of justice could be and with giving us the courage and the strength to help make it so God, holy God, walk with us as we cry for peace, cry for understanding, and cry for justice. Mm. In your many names we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Reverend Liz. We love you. We'll be praying with you and Reverend Barbara, as you, I'm sure, having some late nights getting ready, and we'll all be with you in D.C. Jackie, Sister Jackie, uh, send us out singing. Tell, tell us about this song we're going to uh, hear together. This song is called How Much Longer. And it is, it's a song that was birthed out of common hymnal. Just a heart cry, honestly, as uh, Liz was speaking on uh, earlier. Um, a heart cry unto God. Uh, a lament in many ways. Uh, what I love about what I love about the song is that it puts into words what we feel about the movement, about our faith, about justice, about all of the injustice that's happening. And so um, I, I feel like it just fills in the spaces. It, it puts, it hits that, that nail right on the head about that, that tension that you feel, that pain, that sorrow and, that need to communicate and connect with God in song and worship. And so um, I believe we have a video that will be being played just in case um, the... In the silence, tell me, can you hear? Voices calling out of the disappear Broken spirits and dormant dreams How much longer will 
When the lawless heart is the voice we're hearing, we need freedom, freedom.
same song, I'm asking for a new song. A new change and a new normal, yeah, a new song. Yeah, and we've been singing the same song, I'm asking for a new song. Yeah. time for a new song you've been singing the same old song for way too long thank you jackie thanks uh thanks everybody thanks phil reverend liz john it's been a powerful night by the way common hymnal make sure y'all check them out commonhymnal.org they're one of our co-conspirators as we say at red letter christians and so is the poor people's campaign go to poorpeoplescampaign.org and have you can find all the rest of the information there and y'all we're always trying to do as much as we can for free but if you've got if you want to give a donation to red letter christians we try to share it the best we can and show some love to all the folks like the people who are here tonight so go to redletterchristians.org and give what you can. But even if you don't have anything to give, but your heart and your passion, your art, your love, show up in the streets on June 18th and uh, keep showing up online. We're going to keep organizing. Love y'all. Have a good night. We'll see you soon. We hope you've enjoyed this special Faith Forum conversation. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but bringing heaven to earth while we live. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out our website, www.redletterchristians.org, and follow us on social media.